with so many podcasts out there, shows can get lost in the shuffle. That's why we implore you to check out Too Many Captains. You can find us at a moviepodcast.com. Five unique takes on Hollywood movies and culture. Find us on Twitter at It's a Film Podcast. Check our intellectual deep dives into theatrical films. Find us on Instagram at Too Many Captains Productions. Unique takes on soundtracks. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash too many captains productions. Find us at a moviepodcast.com on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. And now, here comes a new episode of Collateral Cinema. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Robert Ortegon. I'm Ashley Chancellor. This is Collateral Cinema. Welcome to Collateral Cinema, the only movie podcast that matters, where we focus on good movies, bad movies, and everything else in between in the world of cinema. We're podcasting straight from somewhere in South Texas and somewhere in San Antonio, Texas. And yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast. So whatever you have, be it dabs, be it blunts, be it bongs, be it joints, smoke it if you've got it. What's up, guys? Hey. Hey. How is everybody doing? <laughs> How's everybody doing? Fuck. Yeah, how's everybody doing? How you doing? There you uh, go. Yes, welcome to the newest episode of Collateral Cinema. We are talking Intruders, a full moon features release from back in the day. It actually stars the Raimi brothers, Sam and Ted. Yeah. And it also has a brief cameo with the man himself, Mr. Bruce Campbell. Ashley Williams. Hey, you know what? All right. My name, my name being Ashley, he's like, that's like my role model. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. The only other man that and like there's there's gone with the wind, obviously. But I I wish more people would bring up Evil Dead whenever, you know, I give out my name. Yeah, yeah. I I, I understand that. Honestly, I mean, (laughs) if if you have the name Ash, I mean, that's actually the first uh, that's the first thing that I actually think of is Pokemon. Is that what it is? Because most yeah. people think of Pokemon, yeah. Yeah, yeah Pokemon usually it's either Evil Dead or Pokemon for me, but the first thing that I heard was Evil Dead. Evil Dead. Hell yeah, exactly. hell yeah. This movie was also uh, produced by Sam Raimi as well, right? It was produced by Sam Raimi and also Lawrence Bender, who produced a good amount of the classic Tarantino movies like Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown even, right? I think so. Where's that yeah. cover at? Yeah, I, I, I don't know, man, but... Yeah, this actually has some pedigree to it. I mean, it has a future director who would go on to direct some awesome fucking movies. And it also has, even though it's brief, I mean, Bruce Campbell is amazing in it. I heard that this movie had uh, marketed Bruce Campbell and the Raimi brothers as like stars. But they're, you know, Bruce Campbell is literally just a cameo at the end. Yeah, yeah. The Raimis actually have a lot of screen time in this movie, and they also have some really, really memorable kills as well. Yeah, they're yeah they do, but they're still more supporting characters, so that's kind of interesting. 
Yeah, Bruce Campbell comes in, and, and this, these are, of course, spoilers. Bruce Campbell comes in near the end of the movie. He's a cop. He has a partner as well, and they arrest the final girl and her like her red herring boyfriend. There you go. Yes, Craig. And I think they made a big mistake in this movie if they really wanted to market Bruce Campbell the way they did in that they already had cops come over to the uh, grocery store once when uh, the, the boyfriend's name was Richard, right? Or I think it was like Greg. Rick. Rick. Greg. Yeah. It was Greg. Greg. Yeah. Craig. 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 Sorry. Okay, there we go. It Sorry. was Craig. But these officers that were sent to respond to Craig's uh, disturbance, mm. they're like ancient, right? They're old. They're, they're, old, catch? they're old people. It's like, where, where did you find these fucking cops? Retirement. <laughs> Bandera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, that would have been the perfect moment to have Bruce Campbell make the first part of his cameo, right? Yeah, because he only had two right. lines, dude. And literally, for Bruce, for Bruce Campbell, I mean, that blew. Yeah, literally two, two lines. lines. I mean, I can't believe it myself. I mean, th th yeah. there was other opportunities to even bring him in as the cop as well. So, like, the marketing for this, the trailer, and, well, the trailer kind of gave away who the killer was. Yeah. You know, before you saw it, it's like, dude, they fucked up on that. And also in, on the box art, especially yeah. on the DVD. The back of the cover, they got that wrong. Yeah. Oh, they got it entirely wrong. The synops is wrong. Somebody <laughs> should have been fired. It's it, it's a complete <laughs> botch. Yeah. There's even a picture of Bruce Campbell from an entirely different fucking movie. Yeah, that's not even the same film. I know. And, and it also shows the spoiler of the killer on the back of the box as well. I mean... How how the hell could you fuck that up? <laughs> yeah. that's, that's a major oversight. It's like nobody gave a shit about us. Right where, where, where's 80s. the cover for this? Yeah. I'll find it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm going to send Robert off to find the cover of this fucking DVD the because I have it. I've had this in my collection for quite a few years now. Is this a trend with uh, Wizard Video or Full Moon Features? Um. I'm not really sure. I don't really read a lot of the back plot synopses or anything, but here's the synopses in its entirety as it is on the back of the box. It's 10 p.m., the night before Walnut Lake's neighborhood supermarket closes its doors forever. The owners and night crew have a long shift ahead of them, longer than they think. Ace checkout girl Jennifer, played by Lethal Weapons Renee Estevez, has a deranged ex-boyfriend who's fresh out of prison. When he appears outside, weird things start happening. The phone lines are cut and the night crew starts dying, one by one, in the most gruesome ways imaginable. An ex-cop is trying to find out who the killer is and what possessed him to start the bloody rampage. But is it the ex-boyfriend or is it someone else? Now, let's dissect all that. All of that. This is like <laughs> terrible. Terrible. For one, they name check Renee Estevez in absolutely the wrong fucking role. Uh, Elizabeth <laughs> yes. Cox. Yes, Elizabeth Cox is Jennifer. Jennifer, yeah. I mean, this is a major oversight right there. They messed first up off. right there. And, and the uh, boyfriend, I, he did good, get out of prison, right? That yeah. That is actually canon in the movie. But when you get to the end of all of this, 
it's this ex-cop bullshit trying yeah. to find out the <laughs> there motives. Was, there was no ex-cop. That never happens. None yeah. of that ever happens in this movie. It said uh, the phone lines were cut too. The, the phone, phone, the phones were working the whole time. Yeah, exactly. That's funny. I, I don't <laughs> understand how how does this happen? I mean, <laughs> that's and, and, and honestly, not at all. <laughs> I would totally go ahead and start looking at some of the synopses on the backs of other A Full Moon movies and see if any of them are as wonky as this. Because, like, seriously, I've never seen anything like this. Yeah. The whole synopsis is completely wrong. Oh, my God. Yeah. I have <laughs> tons of DVDs. I am an avid collector of many years. I have never seen something like that. I mean, I at least not on what's supposed to be a release of a decent film from Full yeah. Moon Features. You know what I think? I think, you know, it's right at the end of the 1989, so nobody just gave a shit anymore, you know? That's really what it is. Yeah, the slasher genre was on its downswing. It was, it was pretty much over. Time. I mean, yeah, 89, I mean... Yeah. It would be a few more years before Scream would come out and revolutionize the genre. Oh, God, yeah. Turned it into the 90s slasher phase, which is completely different. But, I mean, this movie, I think, kind of sets up some of those tropes that were used in the 90s slashers, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, especially yeah. regarding the cast. I mean, we're going to go ahead and just get into the main spoiler here. The The main killer is one of the owners of the store. Like... <laughs> And for one, he reminds all of us, since we've all worked in a grocery store, which makes this movie painfully relevant to all of us. It, it really hits home, like just watching the movie. Like that setting is just like where I used to work with you guys. Exactly. Like it felt like when all of us were there, that's what it felt like. Yeah. Really. I mean, and he reminds me and reminds all of us of a coworker of ours. We'll go ahead and keep him <laughs> nameless. But... He is uh, unless kind he of a, shows up later on the podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we'll have him on eventually. I would love to anyways. But anywho, he reminds us of this co-worker like almost perfectly. You know, like even just kind <laughs> of like that, you know, old good old boy quality about him and everything. Good old boy. You know, I mean, he's, he's uh, been around the block a little bit. I've been around the block. It's like, no respect. <laughs> no respect. <laughs> Get to work. Get to work, Ash. <laughs> oh, man. He's he's fucking great. And, and this killer is great, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a yeah. very memorable character. And I'm crazy about this store. Played by Danny Hicks. <laughs> and he, he, Danny Hicks. He, he dropped, my favorite part is when he's walking along and he picks up the box off the floor and stocks it back on the shelf. That's so perfect because it's such a thing that's ingrained in all of us having been a stalker or a cashier. You know, it's like we see something yes. askew, we're going to fix it up. I even find myself doing that at other supermarkets sometimes. <laughs> or other, <laughs> like, grocery yes. stores or convenience stores. Same. Um, I don't even work there anymore. It's still in my habits. I know, right? I'm sure that you know where everything is at still to this day in the store, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's fucking perfect. We never really had a night shift. I mean, we yeah. were close pretty early. This place is mostly... close late. They have, like, overnight stalkers. Yeah. Yeah, overnight stalkers. They -E have overnight meat. Right? H E B has that. Yeah, they have overnight stalkers, meat cutters, fruit and produce yeah. uh, stalkers, and everything. That's cool, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's like that. Would, that would have been like a serious help at our place of work. I mean, seriously. But anyway, 
Yeah, Sam Raimi is in this movie, which, Ash, I'm sure you nerded out all kinds of hardcore over, you know, being a fan oh, yeah. of, the, of the Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. Yeah, that was really great for me. Actually, you know, both the Raimi brothers and Bruce Campbell were all fun roles. Yeah, and all three of them created Evil Dead. Yes, That's right. All three of the creative teams behind all three Evil Deads, pretty much. Mm. I mean, I say I think Ted was the writer, Sam Raimi was the director, and uh, Campbell was a star. Campbell was a star and also co-writer and co-producer. There you go. And dude, and I'm I'm excited about Sam Raimi. Uh, he's been confirmed as the director for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. That's so fucking perfect, man. I mean, who else but one of the creators of Evil Dead? I mean, and, and that's shit. interesting too because there's a Doctor Strange reference I think in Spider-Man too. He says, you know, doctor, they're coming up with names, and he says, uh, Doctor Strange. No, that's taken. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. No, no, no. That's what he says. He's like, it's good, but it's taken. <laughs> J.K. Simmons, you know, as J. Jonah Jameson. But anyway, I mean, I, I digress, but I'm, I'm super stoked about – I was already stoked about Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, um, being that it was teased as kind of a uh, – as a horror – you know, type, not full horn horror, but it would have horror aspects. And I really think Raimi gets that. And not only that, but it gives the perfect opportunity for a Tobey Maguire cameo. If they can get the licensing, that would be awesome. Honestly, mm. since it's about the multiverse, it would work. You know what I mean? You could have just as a cameo, you know what I mean? A alternate universe, Spider-Man, which may then pave the way. If this, that's successful to, for the Spider-Man, you know, Raimi series possibly to come back. That would be actually really, really cool because I remember when the script for Spider-Man 4 in the Raimi-verse came out recently and everybody was just like, damn, this actually probably would have been pretty okay, even badass. And it was going to be Mysterio, who shows up in Far From Home, but it was going to be Bruce Campbell. And that would have been really interesting. Oh I mean, Jake my, Gyllenhaal oh my was great, God. but yeah, yeah. Bruce Campbell. Oh, Gyllenhaal is amazing, but Bruce Campbell as Mysterio? Whoa. Fuck. We were robbed. Yes, right? we were. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah, I think so. In some way, I and, mean, yeah, Gyllenhaal is a great yeah, he's substitute. Amazing. Yeah. But the Nightcrawler, and, shit. Fuck. And he yeah. had a cameo in all of the Spider-Man movies. Each yeah. one of the Raimi Spider-Man movies in the trilogy, Bruce Campbell has a cameo. So the theory was that this he was actually going to play the, the same character who I guess had just popped up in different points in Peter's life. Like there was a, a, a story that was going to take pull that in together. Okay, okay, okay. Fan theory. The cop character at the end of this movie is in the Raimi Spider-Verse. He is the yeah. same character. <laughs> the, 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 this, that would be great. Uh, yeah, imagine if intruders actually happened in the uh, Raimi Spider-Verse. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can almost tie Evil Dead to it even. Could you imagine <laughs> Could you imagine if it would have went like Spider-Man versus the Evil Dead? Well, hmm. the Deadites show up in the Marvel Zombies comics. Yeah. Hmm. It could actually work. Like, especially they, if they Disney do. wanted to grow some balls and actually do a real adult version of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, even more adult than the rest of the movies necessarily are. They could branch off and they could do a few kind of more adult-themed ones as maybe not main series films, but staggered releases. I don't know. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Like side releases or something or, you know, just every once in a while. That would be cool, especially, you know, since they're going to have to do Deadpool movies that are R-rated. Um, yeah. I, I guess we're going off on a tangent. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, back back to the movie Intruders. Let's talk about the actual story a little bit. The 
actual mitigating factors of what starts these events is the fact that this store is actually going to shut down at the end of the month. Yeah. And exactly. everybody's been laid off. Like, what happened is, is like the uh, main killer, he's a part owner, but he only has like 49% of the company, and the other dude has 51%, and yeah. he was just like, fuck it, we're just going to sell this to the fucking city. So, like, we're losing money. Yeah, like yeah, we're hem- years, so if we yeah, we're hemorrhaging money like left and right. I mean, they just had to cut their cut losses, their losses. And, yeah, yeah and, and just move on. And one of the uh, owners does not take this well at all. Nope, no, he doesn't. Been there for ten years. Been there for ten years. It's like I'm crazy about this store. Couldn't, I couldn't, no, I couldn't let them sell the store. Couldn't just let them sell. Store's it. my <laughs> life. But then you know, murders all of the employees, which you know the employees are the store. So I don't, I don't. <laughs> I, I know, right? I mean, in some ways, maybe the motivation is a little off there. But then again, you're talking about someone who's just completely lost his fucking mind. I mean, I'm sure he's not really yeah. thinking about any of this. Robert, I mean, mm. what do you think about it? About the store and him losing his yeah. mind. Yeah, I think it's all he has. So you know, kind of like somebody we know, and yeah. Yes, someone we know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Should rename nameless. So yeah, unless he wants to come on the show, of course, which mm. I don't know how likely that is. That I mean, would be cool. We should get him in. But yeah, I mean, the the thing is, is that that kind of also keeps everybody at the store because they start marking down all the inventory so that they can liquidate. Everything must go. Yeah. All that is kind of the catalyst for this murder spree, which honestly is, I think, one of the more memorable murder sprees in a slasher movie, right? Oh, yeah. oh damn. The deaths were so graphic. I mean, some of they honestly, a few of them actually made me wince. There's nine of them, so. Hmm. Yeah, nine, yeah, nine people die in this fucking movie, and all, all of them are so much fun, honestly. Yeah. Pretty creative. <laughs> they, they are very creative kills, like especially for its time, especially for a late period slasher. <laughs> I honestly winced at a couple of them, man. They were they were they just went into gruesome detail. I know. I mean, this is almost kind of an extreme horror movie, a little bit. Not not unlike another full moon feature that's very well known called Castle Freak, directed by Stuart Gordon, and of course that has Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton in it. And, I mean, that one gets really gory and twisted. Although that movie has something that this movie is lacking, which is a lot of sex and nudity. Mm. That's another thing that I think is kind of notable about this movie is that this is a 80s slasher movie, and it doesn't really have any of the sex and nudity that particular period of the genre is known for. Like anything... No, it doesn't. Anything older than 1985, you know? Yeah, I mean, th- th- there's a moment where a couple of the characters kind of fool around a little bit, but I mean, that's that just goes beyond just kissing and whatnot. It does, doesn't go beyond that, I should say. And I mean, yeah. I, I I think that that's actually kind of perfect because it allows the kill scenes to kind of, you know, stand on their own. Yeah, they do, honestly, and that's really the focus. And what I like is all the suspense before even the first kill happens. I remember waiting. I I was like, I know this is a slasher film, but I haven't seen anyone die yet, you know. And, and they throw that red airing with Craig and whatnot, and then um, it's just kind of characters just alone doing their own thing, and then bam, the knife comes out, and then you know after that, fucking they he just goes crazy, smashes that guy in the 
the compactor thing and he slams that guy's face against a meat slicer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. I know. That was cool. Oh man, all that was cool. The the gore effects was really, really spot on for, for its time here. It's actually uh Nicotero and uh, company. Oh really? Yeah. It's among the first movies that they actually did special effects work for. And, they, of course, they would go on to work with, like, Robert Rodriguez and uh, Quentin Tarantino. And they would do a lot of the gore in, like, the Masters of Horror series. Wow. Like, nice. And also in American Horror Story, I believe. I believe they do a lot of the gore effects in that. Oh, so, shit. So, yeah, I mean, you're kind of seeing another legendary group of people attached to this movie. You know, they, they became legends in their own right. And it's all practical, man. That's cr- <laughs> 100% practical. Like exactly. the same special effects from Kill Bill, right? The blood spatters mostly, right? Yeah, if you look really, really closely. The slashes, the spatters. You know? Yeah, yeah. You, you can see those flourishes that would come across in the future movies. Like, especially something like uh, From Dusk Till Dawn. Yeah, great movie. Damn. George Clooney, Tarantino. <laughs> Excellent movie. Now, as we said before, Craig is a red herring character and kind of an obvious one, I yeah, think. He's yeah, the whole time made to believe that he's the killer. He's- yeah, to this movie's credit, they really do sell it kind of well. But, I mean, it's still not subtle enough that you're not like, oh, this guy is probably not the killer. He's so not the yeah, killer. Yeah, I was, I, was, I was like, yeah, he's definitely a red herring. He's not the killer. Yeah. But There's somebody um, else running around, exactly. Unknown assailant. And in, and in typical, you know, horse slasher fashion, you know, the character who we thought was the killer is not and ends up being someone else unexpected, you know, right at the end. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a pretty typical trope for slasher movies, even all the way through the 90s. Oh, yeah. I kind of think that the way that it actually plays out in this movie, it feels more like a 90s slasher with kind of an 80s slasher veneer, right? Exactly. It's, it's like the 90s slasher storytelling with the gore effects of the 80s. Yeah, it's kind of like at the forefront of the 90s. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's literally the turn of the 90s right here. Right. And Craig, I mean, he's a total dick. Let's let's just get that out of the way. He does sexually assault Jennifer, just straight up starts kissing her unwanted. Mm Mm-hmm. And he, he's a total creep. Now, later on, when we're, we see him, I think, I guess we're happy to see him because he's not a killer, but dude is a fucking creep. <laughs> he is. And honestly, in a way, he's the reason why the cops kind of, you know, believe that these two may have committed all these murders. What do you think about that? Because, you know, my interpretation of that is I know it's, it's, she screams at the end and it's like, oh, okay, the, the killer's really alive and the cops, but I was like, 100% the cops are going to shoot that guy dead. There's no way he's getting out of there. <laughs> I kind of question whether or not Jennifer and Craig would actually be stuck with this crimes or these sets of crimes in any legal well, manner. Yeah, because she gave her name out over the phone. So logically, I mean, they just they, yeah. they wouldn't have been able to stick. Yeah, but but yeah, but yeah, and it also wouldn't circumstantial evidence kind of show clearly who the killer was. Well, I mean, I mean, Craig had the murder yeah. weapon in his hand when the cops showed. Yeah, but so. to be fair, there's a quite a few murder there, weapons. There's a lot of them. Yeah. So, I mean, you would have to think that the manager would have left some type of evidence that would have clearly shown that it was him somewhere. Right. Hmm. So, really, I mean, it, it's kind of a ambiguous. Yeah, in, in terms of feel, you're supposed to think that, okay, well, they're fucked either way. But, yeah. you know, whether they get killed or whether they, they go to jail. But 
in either scenario, I mean, it's actually, if you think about it logically, there's no way that either one of those things would happen. I think everybody turned out of that situation just fine. And I'm happy with that knowledge. (laughs) Well, there's also the possibility at that very last second that the killer is still alive because his eyes open again. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. That part, too. I mean, the cops would would shoot him dead. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. He's not in any position to go anywhere just because his eyes open. Okay. Bam, bam. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but like we said, the the killer is absolutely awesome in this. Then again, he might have had a chance because he wasn't black, so... The cops, you know, <laughs> exactly. Fucking cops, you know. Yeah, hashtag truth, I guess, or something. <laughs> but well, he, you know, he had his privilege to save him, I guess. That, that that's very true. Old, it is true. Old, old white person. Okay. <laughs> but Jennifer herself is an awesome final girl as well. Like she is more than capable, and she's kind of up there with like Laurie Strode and. Uh, uh, Heather Lagenkamp's character Nancy mm. and and whatnot. What did you guys think? I mean, how how does she stack up to other f- final girls in this genre? Hmm. She seems to fend off the killer and just hold her own the entire time, you know. Too, so she fits right in there. And and also there's the fact that she's kind of a survivor of such a abusive creepler boyfriend, boyfriend like yeah. Craig. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's very empowering. And not only that, but she's smart. You know, at the end, I like the part where she's, you know, hiding the knife and then, you know, is able to get out just fast enough when he gets close and stab him, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. See how uh, Dakota and I were watching thing. it and we were we were super excited about it. Like we were like, oh, my God, she's going to pull the knife out now. She's going to pull the knife out now. And-, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then there's the scene where she tries to hide behind all the Jiffy Pop and everything. But yeah, she, her nose starts bleeding again because of Craig, you mm-hmm. know, because Craig hit her earlier and busted her nose up a little bit. Oh, that's so fucking bad, dude. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. It, her, her nosebleed gives her away in that scene. But. I mean, yeah, she's very resilient, and she also has good instinct as well. Like, for instance, the yeah. scene when she finally realizes that her manager is the killer. You know, he it looks like he's calling the police, but then she yeah. starts to see the blood all over him, and oh, yeah. he notices that she notices, and... Before you know it, there's that memorable scene where he's jumping on all the cash registers, mm. on, on all the register lanes and everything, and yeah. tr- she's... He's straight up keeping up with her the entire time. Yeah. You know what, though? I called it as soon as he came out. When everybody was dead except for him and her and, he I guess, out. Craig. Yeah. He, and he, he came out. I was like, he's he's the killer. I knew it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the moment where you really, like, put it together, and it's for sure is a brilliant moment nonetheless. I just like how, you know, it takes a second for the audience to realize, and it takes a second for her to realize when you see, you know, the, the wound on his hand. And you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's a great reveal. Yeah, it is. It's, it's well done. And, and, and it also really fits in well with the, with the character of the manager as well. You know, I mean, he's he's using his uh, his sway to kind of try to lull her into a sense of calm, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And, and then uh, once she realizes it, she's just like, fuck. Fuck, I'm fucked. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Ash, what other final girls have you seen in horror movies like this? I mean, I know you haven't seen a whole lot of movies, but... Well, I mean, I'm we watch, you know, Halloween. Both I've watched both Halloweens with you guys. You know, that we did on the podcast, which is the original and then the most recent one that picks up after the original. We watched Nightmare on Elm Street together. 
Yeah. Heather, Heather Loudenkamp, dude. And didn't we also show him uh, Prom Night? Yeah, I think she's Prom Night, right? Elle's Probably. playing at your house. Yeah, it's, it's another Jamie Lee Curtis so, movie. She's always the final girl, dude. Like, yeah, I think so. She's an awesome final girl yeah. in that movie as well. Oh, Renee Estevez is a final girl in Sleepaway Camp 2. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and we reviewed Sleepaway Camp 2 on the Director's Cut yeah. episode. She's in this movie, so yeah. they end up killing her off. I think Craig ends up seeing... Are, 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 aren't you... Are, are we sure that she's not Jennifer? I mean, that's what the box that's wants us the box to take. So, Elizabeth Clark <laughs> is Jennifer, not yeah. Renee Estevez. Apparently. Hey, was Renee Estevez even on Lethal Weapon? That's what I want to know. I think so. Was she? I mean, I have the Lethal Weapon box set. I mean, we can look at it here in a little I'll bit. I'll look that up. Yeah. I don't know. It looks like Ash is already hard at work at this. Oh, I, I was actually kind of looking through to see what other slasher movies I'd seen with a final girl in it. I mean, we did you know, Slumber Party Massacre. Yeah, that, that kind of fits, but that kind of has like a few final girls when you think about it. It does. It's not like one final girl, but... There's like um, three of them. I feel like it's applicable. I mean, Halloween, the two... I mean, the, the most recent Halloween did the same thing, you know what I mean? Where yeah. there's three generations of final girl, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what was really awesome about that movie, I felt. I mean, it, it was just like a multifaceted final girl celebration in a way. Yeah. Robert, what are you doing? I don't even see her movie here. Really? Yeah. Huh. That's weird. Hmm. Renee I don't even see Lethal Weapon here. Don't. Damn, really? And that's a top movie, right? So that's another fuck up right here? I think so. She wasn't in Lethal Weapon? I mean, what was she in then? What What are they trying to reference here? No idea. <laughs> this, I, I swear to God, the back of this box art is that mystifying. It has it raises more questions than it answers. Yeah, she's not in Lethal Weapon. Holy <laughs> fuck, that oh, is a that's even worse. <laughs> Holy fuck, man, that's even worse, <laughs> they, dude. They majorly fucked up. Oh, that's terrible. Good evening, Walnut Lake shoppers. It's closing time. The store will be closing in 15 minutes. But the night crew still has work to do. Oh my god, we're gonna get in so much trouble. Because there's one last customer who isn't satisfied. No, this creep keeps calling her. He's driving us nuts. Leave me alone. He wants to slash their prices. <gasps> Who's there? He wants to cut their inventory. <gasps> You're crazy! In fact, he wants to chop until they all drop. I saw him kill Linda. And now he's turning their retail store. There's going to be one more killing here tonight. Into a wholesale slaughterhouse. Let's talk about the technical aspects of the movie. As far as like cinematography, as far as acting, as far mm -hmm. as the screenplay is concerned. Robert, what are your thoughts on the acting? I mean, the characters are likable enough. They're lovable to go along with the story. Yeah. And what it is. I mean, it doesn't really start 
until that first kill. Then it slowly just creeps on with suspense and. But it does take its time in establishing the characters as well. Exactly. You know? It's kind of like you get to know them and, and what they're all about. And, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. You, you get a feel for their relationships more than anything. Yeah, you kind of get a feel for each of those characters. Kind of like us. Um, right off the bat, yeah. And, and it does kind of capture what it's like to work in a grocery store like that. I yeah, mean, exactly. Especially a small town grocery store that's not like a chain or anything. I mean... In many ways, it's kind of like a little bit of a family. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I, I know that feeling, you know, because I used to work with y'all at the grocery store in town, and I've worked. They worked at that place for years. You're you're kind of just, yeah. It kind of is like a family almost because you know you're kind of stuck there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, especially if you're working an eight-hour shift and you have the cashier coming in to work for like five hours, maybe. It's like, damn. Yeah. Damn. We didn't have any overnight shifts. We didn't do any overnight stocking. But yeah, I, I know. I, I feel so like we. dusty and dirty. That's why, dude. Yeah, seriously. I, I feel like the store would be better if we had that. Nightmare. But then again, I don't want to fucking work there overnight. Oh, hell no. Fuck that. Shit. Overnight. <laughs> I, I tried that before at a convenience store and nah, it didn't work out for me. Uh -huh. I don't know. Let me smoke weed beforehand. Like, if I can come into work high, shit. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that when I get off of work, I have to, like, uh, really wind down. And if I'm doing that at, like, 7 or 8 in the fucking morning, it's just really off-putting, hmm. you know? I know what you mean. Yeah. And, and, and I have to do things that I normally associate with doing at night. And that, that's, yeah. what, that's what I don't like about that. And that's why I prefer not to do that. And I do respect people who do that on a nightly basis. It's it's hard work. Oh, yeah. Bullshit work, too. Don't. And, and that, I think that's what makes this whole killing spree in this movie that much more tragic is it's, it's so unnecessary and senseless. It's not like most uh, slasher movie sprees aren't senseless, but this one especially since it's someone who is part of the family doing this, you know? It has that parallel to a family member who just snaps and just annihilates his children, his wife, his grandparents, or whatever. I mean, it's it's really sad to me in some ways. There's that sad undercurrent to the actual screenplay a little bit, right, mm. Robert? Oh yeah. Yeah, I get I get that feeling. And as far as the directing is concerned, I think Scott Spiegel did an excellent job. I mean, there's some sh really artful shots throughout this movie. Yeah, I like that. Oh, scuffle. I like some of the camera angles. Yeah, the scuffle when they're trying to fight Craig. Yeah, they get, oh, they get into a, a little one. scuffle and he's hitting Jennifer. Yeah, that that that's actually an interestingly uh, acted and shot fight scene. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I mean, yeah, I hated. I was gonna say that you know there are some scenes that are just shot from the oddest angles. Um, and, and it really is artful. I mean, you almost get kind of an art house vibe as far as just the cinematography goes and those kinds of shots. It, it, it almost feels like a little Argento-esque a little bit. If, I don't know if y'all are familiar with uh, the work of Dario Argento. He did, you know, Deep Red, Suspiria. He did Tenebrae. And mm. his giallos, they had a very interesting style that was... You know, the blood was very, very deep and red and it really stood yeah. out. It almost had like a Technicolor vibe to it, and like, especially with his lighting and everything. Like when that blood dripped all over the light when he shoves that dude's yeah. eye right there. Yeah, yeah, you can, you can kind of see that Argeno influence there. Just turns the wall red. That's pretty damn cool. Yeah. 
I mean, it, it's it's kind of cool. Some of the kills, it, it's actually almost like a Giallo. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not it's not like a Friday the Thirteenth where you have the mass killer and you see him, you know, lumbering around looking for another kill and everything. Exactly. It's like here you don't see the killer's face until the last fifteen minutes or so. Yeah, it's this is true. Well, I mean, you see his face, but you don't know he's the killer. First person killer, yeah, of course. third person. Yeah, yeah, you don't. Back. Yeah, you don't find out the actual killer till the end. So that actually kind of has that Giallo vibe to it, and that's something that I really like about this movie. I mean, it's actually kind of reverent of uh, earlier film history, especially in horror and Italian cinema. Late. 70s, early 1980s. Especially with shots like that one that's meant to look like it's coming from inside a rotary dial phone. That's cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. I mean, it's still kind of obviously a cutout put over the lens of the camera, but I mean, it's still an interesting idea and an interesting angle to actually film the actress. It it was Renee Estevez, right? Yeah. Yeah, and she, she was calling the cops, I think. Calling the cops. Her boyfriend was calling her, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also there was a lot of shots coming from like the coolers, from inside the coolers and whatnot, looking out towards the supermarket. That was interesting. Even that little yeah. box where they check on everybody. Right? Yeah, yeah. See the view of the where whole the main, store. Yeah, where the main office is at. Yeah. Yeah. And I also like at the beginning that camera shot in the basket. Oh, yeah. I mean. Like the basket's moving. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a cool effect. Yeah, this movie overall was actually really pleasant, to, really fun to look at. And I thought the pacing was really interesting, too. The movie's only, you know, like an hour and a half long, but it feels a lot longer just because of the slow pacing. And, and I mean that in a good way. Like, the, the movie just kind of revels in and just the mediocrity of uh, the situation, even though it's, you know, a crazy high-tense situation. If Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean... It's a very typical situation, especially when it comes to, like, losing your job. You know, you still have to fulfill your quota for the month before and mark everything down before it's all shut down and everything. That that contributes to that kind of sad, tragic element that I was talking about earlier. It's like everybody is bummed out because they're like, shit, man, we're going to be out of a job at the end of this month. But will find a new job. And then they just all end up butchered. American dream. Yeah, yeah, that really is sad when you think about it. Yeah. Also, what what do you think about the actual screenplay, Robert? I think it was pretty well written. Yeah, like for instance, that slow burn vibe that we were talking about yeah, and the, the Giallo elements. Off, the way it starts off slow, then once the first kill happens, then you get and, into it. And also, I like how each kill kind of escalates in severity as it goes along. They, they, yeah, they get better as it goes along. More elaborate. Gets more yeah. elaborate, gets gorier. The, the set pieces, which are all peculiar to grocery stores. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, like, he's a psychopath that graduates in a single night, you know? He does his first <laughs> yeah. kill, and then he starts getting creative with it and starts just Comes enjoying killing for the sake of killing all slowly. after that first kill. And, slowly and, becomes a serial killer, right? And, and it, may, it all makes sense because, you know, this guy has been working in a grocery store for 15 or 20 years. He knows how to 
he knows where to get all of the weapons that he uses. He knows how to he knows how to use the baler and everything. He knows how to use the bandsaw in the meat cutting Slicers. department. And then the cleaver, and then the hook. Yeah, grab Sam Raimi, sticks his neck on that he hook, is. dude. Yeah, he, he's fully adept at using all of those. So I mean, it makes perfect sense that it would be somebody working within the supermarket. And I like it when he grabs Denny's head, and he and he and he's using the dude's head. That was that was insane. As a, like as because a decoy. You think, oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then he just starts playing around with that, and then he bashes Craig with it. He hits him with it. Knocks <laughs> <laughs> Craig out with the head. Oh man, that that scene is fucking awesome. I really like the bone saw scene. That was really. Really gushy, right? Yeah, that was that was really great. And also a, a good uh, prop as well, as far as the actual head. That shot almost reminded me of like Lucio Fulci hmm. a little bit, like something like City of the Living Dead, or maybe like the New York Ripper. Nice. Like like in City of the Living Dead, there's that scene where that dude drives a big ass mechanical drill through that uh, kid's head and everything. It was kind of, it was kind of reminiscent to me of that. It, hmm. it kind of had that yeah. vibe to it. Hmm. 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 Well, for all this movie doesn't get recognition for what it is, really. Yes, it's a deeply underrated film. Underrated. And and, and it's underrated for some of the Overlooked. reasons we mentioned near the beginning of the episode, which is that for one, this is 1989. The 80s slasher era is pretty much done. It's yeah. pretty much done. Like the the '90s slasher trend won't start for another what three or four years mm. or so, and I mean it just kind of got lost in the mix. Overlooked, damn it! it it's sad that it's overlooked. I mean it's and it's it kind of getting of its time. It, it's kind of getting its due now because it's available on Shutter and it's also available for free on Tubi, like pretty much ad free apparently. I, which which I, was no, crazy. I watched it on Tubi. There were ads. There were, but they weren't too bad. Right on, right on. I mean, the short concept for this was 1979. Yeah, that's another thing we need to bring up is that there is probably a little bit of lost media attached to this. The night crew. Yeah, the Night Crew, which is the original short film that uh, Spiegel and I think maybe Charles Band kind of put together as a proof of concept, and I think it was mainly Scott Spiegel because you know he wrote and directed the movie. Yeah, he did. And it shows at least a few of the kills that ends up in the movie, like the the meat saw uh, head, head scene, yeah. the uh, meat hook scene. What what else was there? Of course, we can only find that in GIFs. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's what's weird. We can only find it in GIFs. YouTube. The YouTube, bit, yeah, yeah, the YouTube, the YouTube uh, video. That's only like just a little compilation of the death scenes. Yeah, I mean, we looked it up on IMDb. We can't even find it. Yeah, it's not even on IMDb. Like, Dang. I, I mean, I, I don't know how to explain it. Maybe we can get, I don't know, maybe the Lost Media Wiki on it. I want to see it though. Like no, maybe maybe, maybe hit up blame it on Jorge from YouTube or Wang on YouTube. They they do a lot of lost media content or 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 on Reddit. There's a lost media subreddit as well. But yeah, hit up the subreddit. Yeah, and, and if anybody is listening who is active in that subreddit, I mean by all means hit us up. I mean maybe post it on the on that subreddit and maybe we can find this fucking movie. Because it, it looks like it was shot on VHS even, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's very 
it's even more stripped down and more low budget than this movie was. 1979, baby. Yeah. And I'm really interested in seeing that. I really want to see it. it like a short it would be like 30 minutes, right? So I'm thinking. It would probably be a 30, 35 minute minutes, movie yeah. short or something like that. I mean, Ash, are you finding anything on it? I see you that on crew, your phone and right? everything. Like, Yeah, I was looking for it. I really can't even find really any Google results about it. It's hard to find anything even on people noticing that it's missing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> There's seriously. There's reference to it on the nothing, Wikipedia. Nothing, That's about yeah. all I could find. Uh, is there a mention on Wikipedia, or what does it say? All Just it says on Wikipedia was, it was also something of a remake of an earlier Super 8 short film by Spiegel. The short was a slasher story called Night Crew and featured a more Halloween-inspired killer. Yeah, the, the killer in, in this movie has an actual Halloween mask on. Yeah. S- similar to something that we, we've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that the film was done in an actual grocery store. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, e- even in the short, it's still at a grocery store. It was shot during you know hours that the store wasn't open, you know. And actually, I found this out from the IMDb page, but because the 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 film was shot over several weeks, even though it you know the story takes place in one night, you'll notice that the magazines actually change throughout the movie. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. 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 It, it, the TV guides, right? It, yeah, the TV guides and the magazine. Like, th- there's a prominent magazine that has Sting from uh, WWF on the cover. Oh, really? Dang. Yeah, it, it was like pre WCW, you know, Crow Sting phase. Oh yeah. It was when he was a little more like colorful. But I mean, honestly, if anybody knows anything about this short, please let us know. Or if if you're connected with the lost media community, I mean, let's find this. I mean, it, it's disconcerting to me that this proof of concept video is out there and, and it's, it's, missing. it's missing. It's not, it's, there's, there's only bits and pieces of it on the internet and on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, unless it's a special feature on the Blu-ray, which honestly, if it was, I would think that it would have been uploaded to YouTube by now. Right? Yeah. Kind of surprised. I mean, maybe that's something we need to check into, though. Yeah. Get rid of. 
But we're going to go ahead and get into our final thoughts on this movie. We'll go ahead and start with Robert. I mean, th this was a movie that we have anticipated for a good while, right? I mean... It was originally supposed to be season one or two. But yeah. We substituted for Leprechaun Returns. And I, I don't remember what we substituted it for on, on season one. Me neither. I think, yeah, we just pushed it aside. We were supposed yeah. to get it done in season one. Y yeah. Done. But we finally got around to it, and Robert... What's your take on this movie? You know, the plot, the story, uh, the likable characters, and when the slow, the pace of the killings in the beginning, just waiting for it to happen. Um, it's it's all great. It's a fun time, you know? Yeah. So I, I would give it, are we rating this? I guess we can go ahead and rate it. Fuck I, it. I would give it a, a four out of five, you know? Four out of five. For being a classic slasher, trying to keep up with that. And, and also being an underrated classic. And an underrated and oh, yeah, overlooked, man. I feel for this movie actually for not getting the recognition. As far as full moon features are concerned, this should be up there with Castle Freak. Mm -hmm. And Ash, what are your final thoughts on this movie? You know, I think it's great. I thought the kill scenes were really a lot of fun. And I thought the movie overall was really alluring to follow, I guess I should say. You know, the first time I started to watch this the other day, I was I was tripping on acid. So it was kind of hard to pay attention. But, I, you know, I, I just watched it on, on weed just now and it was it was a lot better. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would say so. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, no, the movie was great. I was you know, I kept waiting because I knew. Bruce Campbell was in this, so oh, I kept waiting, waiting until the end. <laughs> two seconds of Campbell, dude. Right? Yeah, and once again, therein lies the problem with the marketing of this movie. Damn it. His name yeah, was something all, happened his with name the was production. This, yeah, yeah who, who but, knows, man? I, I don't know. But it's a great movie, you know, nonetheless. I think it's... um. It's a fun film overall, and any fans of the horror slasher genre really need to check this one out if you haven't already. I actually bought this in a three-pack. I meant to buy Bleed. I got that from the Dollar General. See, it was Bleed, Intruders, and Cutthroat. Yeah. So three full moon features in one. I got it for like $3, man. Damn, but, that's perfect. I, I remember buying mine uh, for like 10 bucks. Yeah. I think. Fucking well, you got the original cover, which is cool, man. The red intruder cover. Yeah, and that priceless fucking back cover. Yeah, <laughs> that's fucking funny. <laughs> oh my god, fucking amazing, fucking amazing. But um, intruder deserves uh, yeah somewhere between a three dot five and a four for me. Maybe a three dot seven five. Can I do that? Yeah, yeah sure. Why not? <laughs> I don't want to quite give it that four because it's not my favorite type of movie. But at the same time, I really got to respect for what it's going for and. Honestly, I think I just need to be more exposed to uh, some more slasher films because I feel like that's kind of the the collateral cinema tone. I mean, that that's kind of seems to be if we have any genre focus at all, that seems to be the favorite. You know what I mean? Slashers. At least yeah. when it comes to horror movies, whenever we do them, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, we're going to go for slashers, whether it's on the director's cut or if it's here on collateral cinema. I mean, that, that's yeah. pretty much kind of a given as far as I'm concerned. I think so. I think it's a recurring it's a recurring genre for us, definitely. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go ahead and give my take on this movie. I love the gore effects in this movie, and I love that it's a Nicotero and Company, KNG, I think it's called. I like that they are the ones behind the gore here, and you can totally tell. I mean, it, it's got the same mark as, let's say, like, if 
Tom Savini was doing it, like on the burning. Exactly. You know, like, it, it's yeah. it's got that signature look to it. It's got that vibe. Yeah. I mean, Scott Spiegel, he wrote and directed this movie. He really captured the essence of his story, and he really brought the characters of the story to life and everything, and also brought all of the actual events and the kills to life in a way that was memorable, that was fun, and that was also super bloody and really going going back to the K and G effects or K and B or whatever it is. I mean, it's really fucking awesome, man. Pretty much reminded me of the like the setting, the kills from like sleepaway camps, you know. It had that sleepaway camp vibe too. Had it. that vibe, right? It kind of like, had that right, vibe, th- like all three of them. Even when the Springsteen started killing it, but also it kind of has that segue into the '90s slasher trends, kind of with the characterizations a little bit. It's definitely less of an '80s movie as far as they're concerned. The characterization, exactly. You know, it, it's definitely kind of transitioning from those '80s archetypes into the '90s slasher archetypes. And you can see that clearly. And honestly, it may start off a little slow at the beginning, which may be a little off-putting for some people. But Once that first kill happens, you'll get into it. Yeah, w- I mean, once you get to that first kill and you actually get into the relationships of the characters and everything, it really starts to pick up and you really can get into the story and everything. And and yeah, those yeah. fucking kills are amazing. And and this this the back of this box set is amazing as well. This is <laughs> a masterpiece in botched marketing. Completely <laughs> a masterpiece. The, just this alone I'll give I'll give the box cover a 5. The movie I'm going to go ahead and just give a 4, but th- this is going to be a 5.5. Just for the the box itself is a 5.5 all the way. Well, that about does it for Collateral Cinema. We'll go ahead and let Ash plug Collateral Gaming real quick. Go ahead, Ash. Much appreciated. Yeah, we did our 420 episode out on Mario Kart 8. If you haven't checked that out already, we released that pretty much on the last day of April. So it was still in 420 month. Collateral Gaming is also doing Collateral Gaming Bonus Round. That's our analog to Collateral Cinema Director's Cut. It's going to be our kind of every other episode where it's just me and Dakota kind of going off the cuff. I'm really not even editing these, going over top five, ten lists, and also random game reviews. Pretty much, like I said, analog to what Bo and Robert are doing on the Director's Cut. But our next episode is going to be Tomb Raider, the 2013 reboot. That should be coming out sometime within May. I don't remember exactly which day of May, but it's 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 a week after one of the Collateral Cinema episodes. So anyway, stay tuned for that. That's going to be fun. We've got our new co-hosts, Megan and Alan, on there. So it's going to be a blast. And if you're not listening to Collateral Gaming, you can find us wherever you're listening to Collateral Cinema, wherever you get your podcasts. And we're on all social media channels as well. And stay tuned for some exclusive patron content coming soon. We're going to start working on our Patreon and, you know, Quarantine gives us an opportunity to kind of catch up on a lot of stuff, so it'll be good. Indeed, indeed. And for our Director's Cut episode, which I guess we just went ahead and chose it right now, (laughs) we're going to list our top five goriest movies that we've ever seen. That should be fun. That should be a lot of fun. I mean, we're total gore hounds, and I have a ton of movies here that are just, like, so insane and off the wall and disturbing and crazy and all those other adjectives and whatnot. (laughs) (laughs) 
And we'll figure out a movie to review by then. We'll go ahead and announce that probably whenever I actually start promoting it on Twitter. We'll go ahead and announce the DVD. But mm. I'm leaning towards Pink Flamingos. But <laughs> Still in water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Something like that. But anyway, you can find Collateral Cinema on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We do have a Patreon. You can find us there. And all of our tiers start at $1. We also have a $5 tier. We're also on YouTube and iHeartRadio and Chill Lover Radio. Also, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And what's our next main episode, Bo? Our next main episode is going to be Star Trek 4, I believe, right? The Voyage Home? Is it 4? Yeah, it? yeah, that was my choice. Star yeah. Trek 4, The Voyage Home. That's the best of the Star Trek original movies, in my opinion. Honestly, I think it's the funniest. Yeah, honestly, I like that you're starting with the fourth one. You're not just going for, like, Wrath of Khan. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Wrath of Khan seems to be a lot of people's, you know, golden standard, but I don't know. Voyage Home is just so much more fun, and I yeah. feel like that's what this podcast is about. It, it, so, I, I, yeah, it, it'll be. I'm a lot really of fun. excited for that. I'm really excited to take the lead on that one, and you know, bring you guys into the the world of Star Trek, which has been one of my longtime obsessions growing up. I love Star Trek. Yeah. So, Tricky. and then after that, we're going to do a two part anime movie extravaganza. We're going to do Perfect yeah. Blue, and we're going to do Akira. It's like, that's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm pretty sure that my brother might still be doing a guest spot on the Akira episode. So I'll see what's up with that. Stay, stay tuned for that. And I think that's pretty much all we're going to plug right now. I know, Robert, you're not going to plug anything, right? No, I'm good. <laughs> that's becoming a little bit of a recurring thing right here. It's just, no, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm not good. plugging anything. But anyway, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode of Collateral Cinema. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Robert Ortegon. I'm Ashley Chancellor. And we are out of here. Thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Look for our next episode of The Director's Cut coming this Monday or next Monday. Laters. Lateral Cinema is an L Company production. All music and movie clips are owned by the respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.